So I'm excited to share this morning. I had this word in my heart for a few months, and I said, Lord, whenever the opportunity is, I'll deposit it. And then the opportunity came, so here we are this morning. The title of the message is The Christian Swag. The Christian Swag. Y'all know what swag is? Anyone help me out with what swag is? Swag is an attitude. Swag is a way that you carry yourself. Swag is an understanding. And there is a swag to being a Christian. There is a swag to being a Christian. And if you don't know it, I'm going to help you learn it today. Because we are the people of God. We are the people of God. We represent God here on the earth. And there should be a certain presence about us. There should be a certain tenacity about us. There should be a certain attitude about us as the people of God. It's not arrogance. It's just a presence. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Many of you know that I'm, a, I'm an auntie. I'm a very proud auntie. I have beautiful nieces and nephews. And as they're growing, they're learning scripture. So one of my nephews, he's my five-year-old nephew, this is the one that feels everything the most. He is our most expressive nephew. So at Christmas time, someone gave him a gift, and he goes, what is this? Why did you buy this? I don't want this. Take it back. That's, but then when he gets something, this is the greatest day of my entire life. He feels everything really big, really strong. And so he's memorizing John 3.16. And as most children, they add a little spin on how they say it. I want you to watch how he does John 3.16. The world. Hold on. Sorry. Start again. Go. For God to love the world, he gave his life for God and said that whoever will believe in him will not perish and have a relaxing life. Did you catch it? For God to love the world that he gave his only forgotten son, that whomever would believe in him would not perish but have a very relaxing life. And how many want to say from his mouth to God's ears, right? You don't want to correct it. You want that to be what the Bible says. That he gives us a very relaxing life. Amen? But unfortunately, church, that's not the truth. It's not the truth. We don't have a very relaxing life. We have a life that's filled with a lot of pressure and a life that's filled with a lot of stress and a life that can build anxiety and a life that can build fear and a life that can build things like discouragement and depression. And once you became a Christian, I have to tell you, things got a little harder and I'll tell you why. You became marked by the enemy as his enemy. See, before that, you were no threat to him, so he didn't care about you. He owned you already. But once you became a child of God, you now became his enemy, and he marked you. And the Bible says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He comes to take. He comes to steal. He comes to rob. And you might say, well, he comes to rob my material things sometimes. But most of the time, that's not what he robs. Most of the time, what he thinks that he comes to rob are things like joy. And things like peace. And things like strength and hope. Think about something for a minute. The church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. So what happens when the church has no hope? Hello? So the enemy comes for those things. He comes to rob those things. And so you and I are in a constant state of warfare. There is war coming at us all day. 
And we need to understand something. That we as the children of God don't fight for victory. We already have the victory. We don't fight for victory. We already have it. We fight from victory. So our stance as the children of God is not to gain victory. It's to maintain victory. Jesus gave you everything already. There is nothing that you lack. He gave it to you. But the enemy comes to take what you already have. And your job in warfare is to guard the things that he has already given you. Guard your peace. Guard your joy. Guard your strength. But it's very difficult to do that if you don't understand two things. If you don't understand who God is, and if you don't understand who you are because of who God is. If you don't understand these two things, it becomes very difficult to guard. But once you understand who God is, once you understand who he is, and he's not just the king of king in theory, he's the king of king in your life, and he's the Lord of Lord in your life, and he's the Alpha and the Omega in your life. Once you understand who he is, and then you turn and say, well, hold on, I'm his offspring. And you begin to understand who you are, then you understand how to fight from victory, not for victory. Once I know who he is, and once I understand who I am because of who he is, I get some swag. I get some swag. I get a little bit of an attitude. I'm sorry. And it's not arrogance, church. We're not meant to be arrogant, but we're meant to be confident. We're meant to understand who we are and walk with confidence. It doesn't matter what comes out of us. I know who he is, and I know who I am. And once I understand those two things, then I walk with some swag. I walk with some attitude. I walk with some tenacity. I walk with confidence. Because I know that he doesn't lie. And I know that he works all things together for my good. And I know that he's faithful. And I know no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. And I know that if God be for me, who can be against me? And so once I understand who he is, I begin to understand who I am. Then I walk different. I live different. Victory belongs to the household of faith. Did you hear me? Victory belongs to the household of faith. You are the household of faith. Victory belongs in your house. It belongs there. It's not a choice. It's part of your inheritance, child of God. It's part of your inheritance. You are a victorious people. But we don't walk in that victory. We don't live in that victory. Because we don't understand who he is. And we don't understand who we are. But once that flips, man, oh man, we become an unstoppable force. We become unstoppable. This last June, I did something I will never suggest anybody in their life ever do. I sold and bought a house on the same day. And to make it really fun, I did it the week before VBS. Because why wouldn't I, right? So I'm getting ready to move, and my realtor calls me. She's like, hey, listen, the people that are buying your house, they're super superstitious. I'm like, okay. She goes, all your stuff has to be out for the walkthrough. I said, I'm, I don't, I'm not obligated to do it. She goes, I know that. She goes, but they're going to hold up everything. So make sure nothing from you can be left in the house at the walkthrough. So that flipped off all my timelines. So now I rush. I get a new mover. I get a new this. I get that. The new mover comes, and he's like, oh, I can't take all these boxes. 
I can only take certain such amount of boxes. I'm 24 hours out of moving. So I call everyone I know that has a truck. Hi, family, it's time to pull in some favors. Take all my stuff with you home. I'll see you all tomorrow at the new house. So my life leaves as I'm sitting there. And we're at the last leg of packing up. My whole family's there. Five o'clock, my realtor calls me. She's crying. She's a believer. She goes, sis, I'm so sorry. She goes, the people messed up the paperwork. You're not moving. So what are you talking about? She goes, the closing's off. She goes, it's going to be in a couple of weeks or so. I said, no, no. I said, the Lord told me tomorrow. She goes, yeah, but, but I, I don't know what to tell you. She goes, you're telling me the Lord tell you, but I'm telling you it's off. And I said, no, I'm moving tomorrow. And she goes, oh, okay. I said, look, you go do what you got to do. Call whoever you have to call, you know. I'm going to do what I got to do. She goes, oh, okay. She hangs up. I begin to pray. I, I, I'm, I'm confident that the Lord told me I'm moving tomorrow. So we're packing as if we never got the phone call. She calls at 7. She goes, sis, nothing has moved. She goes, everyone's closed now. I can't get in touch with anybody. I said, it's okay. I said, tomorrow when I see you at the closing. She goes, are you not hearing me? She goes, because you're bugging me out right now. I said, no, I'm not trying to bug you. I'm just telling you I'm moving tomorrow. The Lord told me. She's like, okay, bye. She hangs up. She calls back at 9. She goes, look, I can't get anything to move. Everyone, no one's answering me. I said, that's okay. I said, tomorrow when I see you at the closing, we'll figure it. So we finish the night. I wake up the next morning. The movers come. My stuff is gone. I'm all packed up. I'm cleaning. She calls 10 o'clock. Nothing. 11 o'clock, nothing. 12. She goes, I, I don't know what to tell you right now. Right about now, you're going to move into my house because there's no place for you to go. 1 o'clock, she calls, and she's silent. I say, hey, Michelle, what's going on? She goes, you know exactly what's going on. <laughs> she goes, I don't know what just happened. She said, but your closing is an hour. She goes, I don't know how you made this happen. I said, to make anything happen. I serve a God that makes things happen. She said, the whole office is in shock. All of them are standing, looking at your stuff, going, how did this happen? It's like a wind blew in here and changed everything. And I said, tell your office that Jesus made it happen. So we go to the closing. The attorney's there. The attorney's an atheist. I walk in. He goes, are you the girl that made all this happen? I said, no, I serve the God who made all this happen. He goes, so come over here. Wave your hands on my papers. Just wave them. Maybe something will happen. You know what I had, church? I had some swag. I understood who I served, and I understand who I was because of who I served. And child of God, that's you. That's you. Victory belongs to your house. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It just matters what he said. And so we're going to look at a scripture today found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's probably one of the most famous scriptures in the Old Testament. It's the story of David and Goliath. But it is one of the clearest pictures of Christian swag I can give you. As I'm going to give you a little bit of history on the story, the same way the people of God have been marked in our time, they were marked in the Old Testament. Israel was constantly at war. They had a new enemy every day. And in our particular story today, their enemy is the Philistines. And the Philistines have set camp against Israel. So to picture this with me. Philistines are on one mountain, Israel's on another mountain, and there is a valley in between them. And they're set up for war. One day, as they're getting prepared for battle, a giant comes out from the, Israel, from the Philistine camp. And the Bible says he is 10 feet tall. And that his armor weighs 1,000 pounds. 1,000 pounds, just his armor. And he comes down. And you can imagine that his voice was like thunder. 
And he begins to yell to Israel, why go to battle? Why kill so many men? Send me your best fighter. Let him fight me. And if he kills me, we are your servants. But if I kill him, you're our servants. And the Bible says that when he did that, Israel shrunk. When they, so they knew they didn't have a man that could fight him. And they shrunk. And they yielded in. And they were terrified. And the Bible says for the next 40 days and 40 nights, he taunted them constantly. Where's your fighter? Nobody's going to fight me? Are you scared? Where's your God? And he taunted. And he taunted. And he taunted. And he taunted. And every time Israel shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and became terrified. They didn't know what to do. Well, one of those days, David shows up. And the Bible says David is, David is a child. He's an adolescent. He's 14, 15 years old. And the Bible even says that he's red. That means he had red hair and freckles. And he shows up to check on his brothers because his brothers are in the army. And while he's there, Goliath comes out with his daily taunt. And David hears it. And David's reaction is very different. David turns around and says, hey, what's the reward for killing this guy? Do you get that? David already killed him in his mind. What am I getting for killing him? And he keeps asking, so you're going to get money? Oh, okay. I'm going to get a wife? Hey, I'll do that. <laughs> I'm going to get property? I'm going to get a title? Okay. And Saul hears about this. And he grabs it, David, why are you asking? He says, oh, I can fight him. You're a child. What do you know about fighting warriors? And he said, oh, he said, you know, I'm a shepherd. And one day a lion came for my sheep and I killed him. And then a bear came and I killed him. And this uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be no different. I'll kill him. I'll kill him because the Lord delivered the lion and the bear into my hands and he'll deliver this giant into my hands. And this child convinced the king of Israel to let him fight. He says, okay, but we have to get you ready. So he puts armor on him, gives him a sword. It doesn't fit him because he's a child. He says, no, no, no. I'm going to prepare a little differently. Look with me at verse 40. It says, then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch, and he took a sling in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. And so the Philistine came and began to draw near to David, and the men who brought his sword also went with him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he detested him, for he was only a youth, rugged and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give you flesh. I will give you flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come at me with swords and spears and with javelins, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you. I will take your head from you, and this day I will give you the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. Then all them assembled shall know that God does not save by the sword of the spirit, for the battle is the Lord's, and he has given you into my hands. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to David that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, 
took out his stone, he swung it and struck the Philistine into his forehead so that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Come on, church. Come on, church. I want to break this down for a second. Here's David. He goes and he grabs five stones to put in his slingshot. He said, why does he take five? Does he think he's going to miss? No, it's not that. It was actually prophetic. See, Goliath had four brothers. So David was prophetically saying, I'm not only going to kill you. I'm going to kill anyone that comes against the people of God. And if your family's coming, I'm waiting for them. They were all giants, and he was ready to take them all out. He prophetically took those four stones. And he goes to meet Goliath, and Goliath is, is insulted that they sent him a child. He said, this is what you've sent? And church, he starts the taunt that he has taunted Israel with for 40 days and for 40 nights. He starts it, and he does it again and again. But David's response was very different. See, David didn't allow him to shrink and get discouraged and get defeated and get beat up. David took the words of Goliath and used it as his fuel to go at him. He used it as his fuel. He said, that's what you're saying. No, let me tell you what's really going to happen today. Today, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. And not just you, the whole camp of the Philistines is going to be fed to the birds today. Because God doesn't save by sword of the spirit, but he saves by the power. Amen. And then David takes his rock, and he goes towards Goliath. And listen, church, I want you to read that real carefully. He doesn't bob and weave. He doesn't kind of wait in the corner. The Bible said he ran towards Goliath. He ran full force towards Goliath. He runs towards Goliath. He swings at the rock. The rock hits him in the forehead, and Goliath falls on his face. Now, church, think about that for a minute. Sheer, sheer understanding. He's running full force. He hits a rock in his head. How should he have fallen? But he falls face down. Surrendered to the people of God. Surrendered to the man of God. I really believe God killed Goliath. He just let David look good. But David understood who he was. He understood the God he served. He heard the taunting of the enemy. But he didn't believe the taunting of the enemy. He believed the word of God. And let me tell you something, church. The enemy does the same thing to you. He taunts you and taunts you and speaks and speaks and speaks. And you have a choice. You can take his word and let it beat you up and discourage you and make you depressed and make you fearful and make you anxious. Or you can say, you're a liar. You're a liar. You don't get to speak to me. You know whose child I am? Are you confused at who I am? Let me remind you who I am. I am a child of the most high God and you don't get to speak to me. You don't get to speak to my family. You don't get to speak to my child. Get out of my house. You don't have to be polite with the enemy. Tell him to shut up. You don't get to speak. You use his words as your fuel. You use his words as your fuel. A couple months ago, I was on vacation with actually Pastor Nancy. And there was a weird feeling in the room. I, didn't, I couldn't understand it. But we went to sleep, and while I was asleep, 
I felt something cover my mouth. Something sat on my bed and covered my mouth. And I was trying to say Jesus, and I couldn't for a second. And finally, I got it out, and it broke. I'll tell you what, church. You have never seen a more ticked-off pastor. I got up. I scared her to death. I got up. I said, you came in my room. You sat on my bed. Oh, no. Me and you have an issue. I took out my prayer list. I said, now I'm declaring. This one's going to serve the Lord. This one's going to serve the Lord. Healing's coming to this house. I prayed for the next, I don't know how long. I said, you're going you're gonna to reckon the day that you come near me again. I'm a child of the Most High God, and you don't scare me. You don't scare me. And child of God, that's got to be you. That's got to be you. You're the church. You can't let the enemy's words taunt you and make you discouraged and broken and defeated. You got to stand up. You say, you're a liar. And every time you open your mouth, it's a lie. And everything you say, I'm going to do the opposite. And once we understand that, we walk different, we live different. You know, in the Middle East, in Egypt, Easter time, there was a bomb that went off on Palm Sunday. You guys remember that in the news? A lot of people were killed. They actually took a bomb and put it right about there at the altar. And they killed a lot of people. People were going to worship. And you would think, with people being killed, the building, the building being damaged, that the people would be scared to come out. But that wasn't their response. Can you throw up the picture for me? That's Good Friday. Five days later. Standing room only. There wasn't a place for anybody else. They had hundreds more people than they ever did before. Hundreds. And the pastor got up there, and I'm going to translate his Arabic with some Brooklynese. And he goes, that's the best you got? That's the best you got? We're not scared. Here we are. We're not hiding. We're not scared. We're not afraid. We are the church. And we are here to worship our God. We're not running. We're not hiding. You can put a million bombs in here. If we die, we're going to go be with Jesus. And we've won anyway. So it doesn't matter. We're the church. We are the church. We know who we are. God will save us. And if he doesn't, we'll serve him anyway. It doesn't matter. You know what that's called, church? It's called swag. It's called confidence. It's understanding who they are. And who God is. And let me tell you, the enemy's job is to discourage you and defeat you and push you down so that you don't stand for who you're supposed to be. And then you never get what God has for you. But if you can figure out how to understand who God is and understand who you are, all that discouragement, that defeat, that depression that some of you struggle with, that anxiety. I have never had more Christians anxious and all my years of doing ministry than right now. And it's because we're forgetting who we are. It's because we're forgetting who he is. We're allowing the world's voice to be louder. We're allowing the enemy's voice to be louder. We're allowing social media's voice to be louder. And you've got to silence those voices. And you've got to hear one voice. God, what do you say? What do you say? When that doctor's report, what do you say? No one else's report matters. What do you say? And that's the voice you walk after. So I'm going to give you three things today. They're going to help you understand who God is and understand how to continue walking with some swag. First thing, 
Understand that everything you're walking through is a season. We lose heart when we think, that, when we think things are endless. This is never going to change. This is never going to move. Nothing, we lose heart. But everything is subject to change but Jesus. Everything changes. Now, granted, some seasons are long. Some of you have been in stuff for 20 years. I get it. But God's faithful in it. And everything you're walking through is a chapter. It's not the end of the book, family. That page is about to turn. And you can't lose heart before the page turns. There's a saying that says when you're waiting for God to open the door, praise him in the hallway. Don't lose heart. Know that everything is a season and a time. This last year, I was traveling to Alabama, and we were flying back. And as I'm getting on the plane, I see this young girl in her early 20s. She's holding this beautiful chocolate lab on her, on her lap. But she's super anxious, and she's holding this dog. And I happen to have the seat next to her, so I go to sit down. She goes, he won't bother you, I promise. I said, no, no, I love dogs. Don't worry about it. So instantly, she felt better. I guess she thought whoever was going to sit there was going to have a problem with the dog. So now this chocolate lab jumps in my lap. He's beautiful, so I'm playing with the dog, and I look, and he has tags all over him. And I go, his name is Sammy. She goes, yeah. I said, he's a service dog. Yeah, I said, for Carla. Yeah, you're Carla? Yes. I said, sweetheart, you're, you're a baby. Like, she goes, yeah, she goes, I'm 23. And I said, you need a service dog. She goes, yes, I said, can I ask why? And she said, well, I have a condition that I just faint. No one can figure out why I just pass out. I've been to many neurologists. No one can figure it out. No one can do it. It's just kind of my life. I've had it for about eight years now. I said, she goes, and the dog can feel when I'm going to faint. I don't feel it. So what he does is he starts running around me. And then I know that I'm going to about to pass out. So I sit down wherever I am. She goes, and if we're home, he'll do that. I'll sit down. I'll pass out. He'll hit an alarm that'll call 911. And he'll hit a latch that'll open the door for the paramedics. I was like, this is a super dog. This is like, <laughs> this dog is like amazing. And I said to her, she goes, I've, I've had it for about eight years and whatever in church. I have an hour on this flight. And so I'm like, I'm like, so where is your faith? And she goes, oh, you know, I grew up in the Catholic church. She said, but about eight years ago, I just stopped going because I didn't understand why God would let me have this. And I, so I'm meeting with her in April, and God healed me in March, right? So I'm like, look, I said, I don't really have a lot of time. We got an hour. I said, so this is what I'm going to tell you. I said, there's like 200 people on this plane, and God put me beside you. I said, because God is a God of plans and strategy. I said, I'm here to tell you that this is not the end of your chapter. This is not the end of the book. This is just a chapter. God has a plan. And I just began to, like, talk to this girl. She starts weeping. I said, your life is not over, sweetheart. We have another page to turn. I said, and today I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to believe God's going to heal you. Here's my email. When you get healed, email me. And I just prayed. I said, can I pray for you? She falls into my arms. And I pray healing over this young girl. And I'm waiting for the email because I believe God's going to do it. But God had convinced this child that it was over. This was her life. You're just going to be sick forever. And let me tell you something. Everything is subject to change. Nothing in your life has to stay that way. Nothing. I know stories after stories of wives praying for their husbands for years. For years, seeing nothing. And then one day God gives them a dream. God sends the right person. God challenges them. God, God is always moving in your life. You just don't see it. Everything is subject to change. The second thing, you have to stay close to the Lord. You can't know who he is if you don't spend time with him. Hello? <laughs> you can't understand who he is if you don't spend time with him. The reason David's response was different than everybody else's was because he sat on a mountain 
for months and years writing the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is his prayer life, church. That's what you're reading. And he spent time in the presence of the Lord. He knew God. He knew the way God moved. So when the Goliath came, it was no challenge to David. He's like, I know God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's talking? Who's he? Ten feet? My God's a million feet. Let's figure that out. He wasn't scared because he had spent that time in his presence talking to him, knowing God. And when you begin to walk in this place of knowing who God is, who he is, you begin to understand who you are. You're his child. Let me tell you something. When you speak, the enemy doesn't see you. He sees the Lord. He does. You're his child. He sees the anointing over your life. He sees who you are. There's a verse in the book of Psalms that says the sea saw and ran. And the way you break that down is very simple. When Moses raised his hand to the Red Sea, the Red Sea did not see Moses. It saw God and it got out of the way. And when you speak, child of God, and you move, the enemy doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And so stay close to the Lord. Let his voice be the loudest voice in your life. Let his word be the loudest voice in your heart. Don't give room for discouragement or fear. Get, let God's voice be louder than every anxious thought. Thirdly, use the enemy's taunting as your fuel. Use that voice that's speaking to you, that's saying all the wrong things, as your fuel. He starts saying things like, your child will serve, never serve the Lord. My child, my child's going to be a pillar in the house of God. Your husband's never going to come. Oh, my husband's going to sit with me on the front row of church. You begin to use his words as your fuel. You will never be healed. I will be healed and dance in church. Begin to use his taunting as your fuel. You're a child of the most high God. Begin to learn to speak out against him. The greatest evangelist in America living is Billy Graham. But the greatest evangelist in Africa is a man by the name of Ron Hart Bonnke. Anyone hear Ron Hart Bonnke? Ron Hart is this, is this German preacher who has this incredible ministry. And his ministry is marked with healings and people raised from the dead. And if you look him up, you'll see miracle after miracle. But in the mid-90s, he was preaching in Africa and he was preaching in Nigeria mostly. And several of the crusades, people got healed, people got raised from the dead. And the, and the Nigerian government was like, oh no, you got to go. <laughs> you causing problems. So they banned him from Nigeria. But Ron Hard was like, I, I know that that's not them. It's the enemy. So as he's leaving Nigeria, because he's been banned, and he doesn't know for how long, they've told him forever, he gets on the plane as he's standing at the top of the plane on the ladder. He turns to goes, Satan, you haven't won. He goes, let me tell you how this is going to work. For every year that you keep me out of Nigeria, you owe me a million souls. So you decide how many souls you want to give me. You decide how many souls you want to give me. But for every year, you owe me a million souls. And he left. They kept him out of Nigeria for nine years. Nine years he was kept out of Nigeria. When he was finally allowed back in church, the numbers are historic. We have never seen numbers in crusades like the numbers he produced when he went back. But I'm not just going to tell you about it. I'm going to show it to you. Yeah. 
Look at the numbers, church. That's one crusade. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Did any of y'all do the math? It was more than nine million. Because that's what God does. He does exceedingly abundantly more than I can hope or imagine. We ask him for this much. He goes, oh, no, child, you're thinking too small. I'm going to give you this much. So you today, what you discouraged about? What you defeated about? What are you worried about? Your answer should be nothing. Nothing. Not because things don't hit us. They do. All right. Take the hit for a second and then get up. Wipe the dust off and be 
the child of God that you've been called to be. Don't sit there. Don't let the enemy taunt. Don't listen to him. Tell him to shut up, get up, and be the child of God that you've been called to be, that you've been anointed to be, that God's power is in. You don't need one more thing. You got it. You don't need one more thing. You just got to get up and say, absolutely not. You will lie to me no more. Stand up with me, church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Would you lift your hands this morning? Hallelujah. Jesus, we give you praise. We give you praise. Hallelujah. 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 And just take this moment right now and just begin to declare freedom. Know that you don't fight for freedom. You have it. You don't fight for victory. You have it. Begin to assess what he's taken and demand it back. If you haven't felt joy in a while, say, hey, you don't have the right to my joy. You don't have the right to my peace. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord is moving all over this room today. Hallelujah. Today, if you're struggling, say, I've been discouraged. I've been robbed. I don't want to be robbed anymore. I've, I've struggled with depression. Um, I have fear. I have anxiety, but I don't want these things anymore. I want you to hear the words of the song that says, you make me brave. And say, I'm going to be brave enough to walk up to the altar today and leave my discouragement, my depression, my fear, my anxiety at this altar today. That's the, that's the most I'm going to do. Come forward if you're ready. Say, I'm ready. I'm ready to walk in everything God has for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just make your way. Hallelujah. In the balcony, we'll wait for you. Come on down. Hallelujah. I'm ready to be the church. I'm ready to be who God has called me to be. Hallelujah. Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 As people are coming forward, those in your seat, just begin to lift your hands right now and worship God. Begin to draw near to him right now. I will not, I will walk with joy from this point forward. I will walk with peace from this point forward. I will not walk defeated or discouraged. I'm going to run towards my enemy. I'm not afraid this morning. Hallelujah. 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 